Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. We are in week two of a series on discipleship, and the tagline we're using is, How You Help Me Follow Him. And the principle that we dug into last week that we just touched on, because discipleship is a big topic, and I hope you can appreciate that. The principle we touched on was the fact that discipleship happens personally. How incredible is it that God, the king of the universe, the ruler of the universe, the creator of all creation, put on flesh so that he could relate to you and I personally? That God became a man... Emmanuel, God with us, so that God could reach us. God became one of us so that God could reach us. Discipleship is personal. God created you with the ability to relate to him. He called you into salvation. He called you into ministry. He gave the person of his Holy Spirit to dwell within you. How personal is that? To empower you and equip you for the mission. And now we carry the name of Jesus with us wherever we go. We refer to ourselves as Christians. We're little Christs. We're examples of Jesus to the world. We are his hands and feet. How personal is that? Discipleship happens personally. Uh, One of the opportunities I missed last week when I presented those booklets, called to follow, equipped to grow, sent to serve, I didn't say that the way we use those booklets is one-on-one. It's to be done personally in relationship. When somebody's preparing for baptism, we give the call to follow booklet so that they can work through the conversation with somebody else personally in relationship. Discipleship is not a booklet that we hand somebody and say, go be discipled. Discipleship is a conversation. Discipleship is how you help me follow him. And the first principle we looked at is discipleship is personal. We're talking about the most important decision of your life, the most significant calling of your life. The news that saved your life, that gave you life, it can't get more personal or important than that. We chatted about this in our life group this week. By the way, if you're not in a life group, let's talk about life groups. You should be in a life group. That's really where we're going to land this plane today as we talk about discipleship. But in our life group, we were talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where Moses goes up the mountain into the cloud, meeting with the very presence of God. And when he comes back down, his face is shining from the glory of God because he was in the presence of God. And he's got to veil his face so that he doesn't startle the people. Well, you and I, because now salvation has become so near, with unveiled face, We display the glory of God because we're being transformed into his likeness so that we display God's glory to the world. Personally, from us to the world, the light shines out, the light of Christ. Like a mirror, we reflect the glory of God. How personal is that? That your personal discipleship puts God's glory on display to the world. That's what we talked about in our life group. Discipleship. It may start with you personally, but it cannot end with you. It must not end with only you. Discipleship happens together in community. Our mission is not only to be disciples, but to be disciples who make disciples. 
who encourage other people to follow the Jesus that we follow. It may take a village to raise a child, you've heard that saying, but it takes a local church to raise a disciple. I would go so far as to say you will not survive in your discipleship unless you have a community of disciples around you. You certainly will not thrive in your discipleship apart from the community of a local church family that's also pursuing Jesus. When the disciples received the Great Commission, that's what we talked about last week in Acts chapter 1, it, it was to be disciples who go into all the world to make disciples by the power of God's Spirit. Wait for the person of God's Spirit to fall on you, to empower you, to equip you for the mission. Wait until you have God's power personally and then go into all the world. So Acts chapter 2, if you would turn there today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. The last paragraph in Acts chapter 2 basically is where we're going to be today. The day of Pentecost has arrived. It's 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. It's 10 days after the commission and the ascension of Jesus. The feast of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes in like a rushing wind. The sound of a mighty wind. The Holy Spirit falls on the disciples they have tongues of fire on their head. And by the power of the Spirit, they speak in other known languages. And we know that there are actual known languages because of all these people that were gathered in Jerusalem for the feast who spoke different languages, who because these apostles were speaking in tongues through the power of the Holy Spirit, they understood the works of God, the chapter says, in their own language by the power of the Spirit, the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up to preach about God's spirit and about Jesus, whom they had crucified, he says. The Holy Spirit works through the preaching of God's word. And verse 37, Acts chapter 2, it says that all those who heard were cut to the heart. And 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ that day. And the church was born. From 120 followers, eyewitnesses of Jesus, to 3,120 on day one. How incredible is that? It's a mega church right off the bat. Amazing, right? I mean, I mean, don't we want that? Don't we want to see that in our day? Don't we want to see thousands of people turn and follow Jesus Christ, give Jesus their life? That would be amazing. It would also present a lot of problems, wouldn't it? Very real, very raw discipleship conversations, pretty messy. How do you disciple 3,000 people who just put their faith and trust in Jesus? How do you do that? 3,000 people. Where do you start? What do you make a priority? I've heard a lot of talk about the early church and about this passage of scripture at the end of Acts chapter 2, especially in the COVID era. Like, why don't we just go back to the days of the early church, right? Right? Back when discipleship was simple, back when church life was simple, like there's, they didn't have a big building. It was just a small group of dedicated followers. They were meeting in their homes. There's no committees. There's no programs. There's no budgets. There's no members meetings. Just back to the basics. Let's you and I get together Friday night in our living room. We'll read some scripture. We'll send some money to a charity. We'll, we'll talk about Jesus and that will be church. Why don't we just go back to the days of the early church? No buildings, no budgets. 
Have you heard conversations like that? I think, I think we fail to realize that the early church didn't have it all together. It was pretty messy, pretty raw, pretty real, pretty huge. 3,120 people in the church on day one. And it says that they're meeting in Solomon's porch, which is this huge courtyard area outside of the temple that could accommodate a ton of people. And they were meeting there for their worship services on a specific location, on a specific day. And then it talks about the budgeting and the possessions and the money and how they brought it together and they made decisions on how they were going to send it out to the people. And then it talks about deacons shortly thereafter and about leaders and about organization. You can't say that the early church headed all together and they were this simple bunch of people who just gathered together and talked about Jesus. There was a lot more to it. This thing was huge. This was a massive movement that started in one day, the day of Pentecost, from the, uh, the followers of Jesus, the eyewitnesses. The early church is very young, very new, very large. Lots of problems to work out, lots of discipleship opportunities in and amongst all those problems. There's no perfect church, just Jesus followers seeking to follow Jesus together. So what did they get right? What did they focus on? That's really what we want to talk about today. How did they do discipleship in community? Because that's the second principle that we really want to nail down. Discipleship happens in community. Yes, God relates to you personally in the person of his Holy Spirit. He sent the person of his son to put on flesh to meet you where you're at. God became human to relate to you personally. Discipleship happens personally, but then it has to happen in community. Just 10 days after the disciples were commissioned, the apostles, 3,000 people are added to the church. And they've got to figure out what discipleship looks like in community right off the bat. So Acts chapter 2 Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, wonders and, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This isn't socialism. It's not communism. They still re hold on to the right to own their possessions. They're just holding it with a loose grip, a generous grip. They're responding to people with the love of God, with what they had. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love how simply and succinctly Luke puts the discipleship method and model of the early church in those first few days and weeks. He doesn't say anything about how Peter wanted to rip his hair out or how John hadn't got any sleep or how Nathaniel had this, this wacky idea of how to organize and administer 3,120 people, or how the disciples were receiving all these crazy questions from brand new believers who didn't know a thing about the gospel and wondered about this person named Jesus that they had responded to and given their lives to. 
It just gives the key aspects of what discipleship looked like in community in the days of the early church, right off the bat, when it was real and raw and messy. So the first thing we read, they devoted themselves. And this, this, is, this is a beautiful Greek word. It's prokartario, consistently showing strength which prevails, staying in a fixed direction, to continue to do something with intense effort despite difficulty. So it's, it's a compound Greek word. There's two parts. First of all is prose, which means interacting with, moving together with, moving toward. And then carterio, which means power, strength, endurance, patience. So devoting themselves meant moving through life together in the same direction with the collective power of the whole. That's a beautiful word. Shouldn't that be a description of the church? Moving together in a specific direction with the power of the whole. I've, I've told you stories about hiking the Funday footpath before, and I wanna tell you another story. I think we have a picture of the crew that hiked this year, and maybe you'll recognize some of those faces. Um, but. In New Brunswick, there is what is called the Funday Footpath, and it extends from Funday National Park to, to St. Martin's, New Brunswick. It's just over 50 kilometers. It's some rugged coastline. So we decided to do it this year. 13 of us got dropped off in Funday National Park. It was record rainfall that year. I'm, I'm telling you, that weekend was the wettest weekend on record in New Brunswick for like the previous 10 years. I don't know why it worked out like that, but we decided we were gonna go. We got dropped off. Our driver took this picture before he jumped in the church van and started heading off, so we have no backup plan. We gotta go. And I'm telling you, not 10 minutes up the trail, there's this sign that says, due to the rainfall warning, the water crossings are extremely dangerous. Something like, we, we recommend you do not hike the Funday footpath at this time. 10 minutes into the trail, our drive is gone. We're here, bunch of young guys, so we said, we're doing it, let's keep going. <laughs> we didn't even point out the sign to half the group. And we got <laughs> like three hours over the first hill to the first water crossing. And I'm telling you, this, this water crossing that was about ankle deep last time we did it is almost waist deep, and it's like rushing white water. And we're thinking, great, we're three hours in, we're gonna have to turn around and go back. So we, we stopped, we huddled up, we chatted as a group, and we said, you know what? If we get our buddy Mac, who's the biggest, strongest, heaviest guy here, out front, and we all link arms with Mac and face against the water rushing at us, maybe we can make it across. So that's what we did. We sent Mac out front, thank you Mac, and we all linked arms with our buddy Mac and with each other, 13 of us all linked together, and we used the collective power of the group to get to the other side of the river, and we made it. Nobody got swept away. We took 13 people on the hike, and 13 people made it back out, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. There's no way we could have done that alone, but together with the collective strength of the community focused in that direction together against the raging whitewater, we made it to the other side. And I know we couldn't do it alone because my, my buddy Carter tried it at the next water crossing. He was upside down with his backpack on. 
And he had this container of Gatorade mix. So for the rest of the hike, he had this orange Gatorade goop dripping out of the back of his backpack down his leg. So he learned that there is strength in numbers, power in community, moving together, pros carterio, moving through life together in the same direction with collective strength. Um, I want to talk about a brand new resource that we are launching today. And I don't have a lot of time to talk long, but it comes with a full explanation attached to it. It's out on the table, under the TV, in the lobby. I want you to grab one of these, read through it. This is called a care card. And this is what Pros Carterio is all about. You see, each one of us is called to personal discipleship, personal ministry, personal evangelism, where we are to be reaching into our communities, caring for the people around us. We shouldn't just leave it to the professionals, whoever the professionals are. This was developed from an idea, meeting with our benevolent team. And the comment was made, the benevolent team is just a representation of all of our church family who are all on the benevolent team. Did you know you're on the benevolent team? Did you know that you're also on the Journey Kids ministry team? Did you know that you're also on the youth ministry team? Did you know that when you sang today as the band was leading, you were a worship leader in your row for the people around you today? Do you realize that when you're part of a church family, you are part of a team of teams, a greater community, a larger body in which we all play a role? So this idea was, how do we communicate to our church family that each one of us has a responsibility when it comes to our benevolent team, when it comes to our kids' ministry team, when it comes to our youth ministry team, when it comes to our finance team, when it comes to all of our teams of the church, how do we communicate that we all have a responsibility and a role to play? So this care card was birthed out of that conversation. And basically, here's what it is. When you are ministering to people in the community and you've built these relationships and you're having spiritual conversations, there will come or there should come a point in that conversation where you're not only representing Jesus, you have an opportunity to represent Jesus' church. You have an opportunity to represent the body of Christ. You have an opportunity to talk about this community of believers and the power and the ministry of a community of disciples. You see, I can't give $5,500 of my money to Mount Traber because I couldn't afford to feed my family for the next little while. But collectively, as a church family, we can give $5,500 to Mount Traber together because that's the power of community coming together. So this care card, when you're in conversation with people that you are caring and ministering for, there will be an opportunity to talk to them about the collective ministry strength of the community of the local church. When they scan this care card, there is an opportunity to connect them to the ministry leader in the area of ministry that they are in need of. So it connects them with a personal conversation with somebody who leads an area of ministry in this local church body so that they can be cared for, not just by you, but also by the ministry of the local church. So I'm going to leave it there. I know that's a quick nutshell. You need to read this document. Pick one up in the lobby today. Read this. It's basically reverse engineering our website so that when somebody fills out this card and looks online on the landing page, it will connect them with the conversation they need to have in our church 
family. It's a personal connection to the power and the collective strength of this community of believers. Pros carterio. Moving through life together in a specific direction with the collective power and strength of the community. That's the power of the team. Do you realize the responsibility doesn't totally rest on you? You have a team to rely on, but that also means that you have a responsibility and a role within this team, a part to play, a function in the body of Christ. Proscartario. The early church devoted themselves, but what did they devote themselves to? Well, Luke lists four things, and this is really what I want to look at in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So I want to point out three of them, and then I want to spend some time talking about the fourth. First one, the apostles' teaching, doctrine, theology, the application of teaching from the ones who saw the risen Christ and had the special commissioning from him for the founding of the early church. It was the teaching from Jesus' disciples who had seen Jesus just a few weeks earlier. The mature teaching the young. Those who have followed Jesus, showing other people how to follow Jesus. That's discipleship. New believers need to be taught. We have the written word of God. We have the written letters of the apostles. We have the Old Testament that the gospel is founded upon. Learning God's word is so important to discipleship. Meditating on his word, hiding his word in our heart, memorizing his word, knowing what God has said to his people. The early church spent time listening to, studying, and discussing the apostles' teaching. That's a big part of our Celebration Sunday. We take over half of Celebration Sunday to get into God's word and spend time talking about what it says. This is what our life groups are all about. We don't have opportunity on Sunday as a collective group to ask questions and have discussion. But in life groups, you can ask your questions. You can have discussion around the text. You can chat about the apostles' teaching. Number two, breaking of bread. The early church shared meals together. The Lord's table, communion. They shared love feasts together where they invited people from the community who needed food to eat. They shared meals. They broke bread in their homes often and had spiritual conversation over the table. I don't know what your dinner table looks like, but growing up in my house, dinner was a time for the family to connect after a long day of being disconnected. And I remember my parents would always ask the same question. So how was your day? And I never appreciated that question as a kid, but now I understand why you have those conversations. To connect relationally in community as a family after a day of being apart, to talk about what really matters and to reestablish that relational connection. That's what the supper table is all about. People connect over food around the table. The Lord's table makes that connection so much more significant and deeper, and, and we're going to observe the Lord's table to close the sermon time this morning. Number three, prayers. The use of the plural prayers seems to indicate a fixed time, fixed hours, recurring times of prayer. And how it says the prayers, it implies more of a formal prayer and worship service. Maybe the prayers in the book of Psalms, maybe the Lord's prayer, but gathering together for prayer. To pray together is such an intimate thing, isn't it? 
I'll reference my life group again, because I just so enjoyed our life group on Thursday night this past week. It was such an encouragement for me. We spent time praying together. Everybody in the room had something to pray for, for somebody else in the room. And we went around the room. It's just something to listen to your friend talk to, audibly, out loud, their creator on your behalf for the transformation and for the healing of the people that we know and love and care about, presenting our request to the Lord. And not just listening, we're participating in that. When we say amen, it's really saying, let it be as you say. I'm in agreement. I agree with that. I'm echoing your prayer. Amen. We're praying together in community. The prayers of the saints. So three marks of the early church. Their collective power together moving in the same direction in the apostles' teaching. The breaking of bread and prayers. Studying the word together. Eating together. Praying together. That's pretty practical, right? But there's a fourth word there. I really want to take some time discussing this word. Because it's a word we overuse and we undervalue. It's, it's really become Christianese is what it's become. Fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. What does fellowship mean? Growing up, we had this big room in the basement of the church facility that we attended. And it was called the Fellowship Hall. And it's where you got watered down Kool-Aid and stale cookies. <laughs> After Sunday school, before you went to the morning service. That was the fellowship hall. You hear guys talking about going to Tim's and chatting about the Leafs with their buddies. And that's fellowship. So it's referred to. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, there's the fellowship of the ring. What does that mean? Fellowship. We're going to have this uh, regional conference at our church facility this weekend for Fellowship Atlantic because our church is a part of an association called the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. What does fellowship mean? Fellowship is translated from a Greek word, koinonia. There, that solves it for you, right? It's used some 20 times in the New Testament as a noun, eight times as a verb. It means to share. It means to participate. It means to take part in, to contribute to something. It's used throughout the life of the early church to reference the collective money that they contributed to the poor. The participation we have with Jesus. Our fellowship in Jesus' sufferings. It's our taking part in the message of the gospel. It's the word Paul used when he talks about how to share in his body and his shed blood at the Lord's table that we're going to observe. It's our joint connection with the Holy Spirit. It's our community in the faith. It's our joint fellowship with the Father. It's our connected commonality with one another. Koinonia. Properly, it's what is shared in common. What we have in common as the basis of our fellowship or our partnership. Joint participation. Koinonia. It stresses the relational aspect of fellowship. It comes from a Greek word called koinos, which means common. The language that the people spoke in Jesus' day was koine Greek, which is translated common Greek, because that was the common trade language. If you wanted to communicate and connect with somebody verbally, you used the common Greek language in that day, koine, common, how we connect and how we have conversation together. <coughs> 
It's a game changer when we realize how much we actually have in common. The world's gonna tell you that it's your differences that define you, that it's your uniqueness, your special, your diversity. What do you have that's so different from everybody else and let's celebrate that? Do you hear that line of reasoning in media today? But really, Christian community is based on what we have in common. We're all different, we're all unique, we're all created in the image of our creator, unique and special. He formed us intricately, yes, for sure. But we have so much in common. And that's what we partner in. What do we have in common? I need you to follow him. And you need the collective group to follow him. We need each other. The focus isn't on you and your preference and your worship style and your preferred preaching style. The focus isn't on me necessarily and what I need from you. The focus is on what we have in common as a community. Do you realize how much we have in common and how that lends to the fact that we need each other? That our lives actually need to be pointing in the same direction and the same savior that you need is the same savior that I need because I deal with sin issues like you deal with sin issues and the brokenness that you see in the world, I experience in the world. We have this in common. My kids just started soccer on Sunday nights. Last Sunday night, there's a community soccer program in Truro. I think half the town of Truro was there. I think we have a picture and maybe half our church family as well. Um, and first of all, let me say, sports are not necessarily evil in and of themselves. <laughs> we can learn a lot from the sports world. This whole idea of the collective power of a community. I mean, there's so many illustrations in the sports world of a team coming together with their eye on the goal and the prize, working together, playing roles, having a mission and objective but it can't be the priority in our life. It's really easy to make sports an idol. And we were talking about in our life group, it's really easy to celebrate when your team wins, but then on Sunday when we're talking about the victory of Jesus, we're maybe a little less animated and how maybe we should consider that a little bit. But I like sports and my kids are in sports. So back to soccer on Sunday nights. Have you ever watched kids play soccer? I'm talking about like uh, kids playing soccer for the first time. It, I, I wouldn't say it's so much soccer. I mean, there's a soccer ball there and, and they're on a soccer field, but it's more of like an eclectic gathering of different games. Like um, there's tag and there's Red Rover coming over and maybe some butterfly catching and some cloud watching and uh, picking dandelions. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Um, but there's a soccer ball there and a soccer field there. Those kids are learning how much they have in common as a team and how they can work together as a team for a common mission and what the purpose of soccer is all about and how they have a shared target and a shared approach and they all play roles. It's easy to come into a church building and not really be part of the church. It's, it's really easy to be on the field and have a soccer ball present but not really be playing soccer, right? Right? 
It's easy to gather on a Sunday and be in the same room and be sitting in the same row as other people who are following Jesus, but not really following Jesus yourself. It's really easy to be in this room and to have it be a gathering of all sorts of different preferences and life focuses and priorities. But what if we realized what we have in common as sinful humanity in desperate need of a savior who reached us personally because God put on flesh to meet us where we're at and die to pay the price for your sin and my sin? What if we gathered in this place and it was like the team huddle before the coach gives us a kick and says, get back on that field and you leave everything on that field because that's the prize, that's the goal, and we need the collective focus and strength of this team pushing through adversity with their eye on the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. What if that's what this community was? And what if we had a focus like that and we weren't picking dandelions or chasing butterflies? This is personal discipleship happening in community. As the team pushes towards the goal together, the individual members are growing in discipleship. Discipleship happens on its own when we're passionately pursuing Jesus together. Do you believe that? We put so much focus into programs and booklets and resources and methods and steps what if we just passionately pursued Jesus together? Would that not disciple the people around us? Would that not disciple us? We can find commonalities with people at the gym. You working out? Yeah, I'm working out. We can find commonalities with people at the fast food restaurant. You've been waiting long in line? Yeah, I've been waiting long in line. <laughs> we can find commonalities with people at the East Link cell phone booth. So are you getting good service? Yeah, I'm getting good service. Shouldn't we find such a deeper commonality in our faith, in our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that took us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into his everlasting life and gave us hope and gave us eternity and glory and his spirit to dwell within us? Shouldn't we find some incredible brotherly and sisterly affection and community in that? The world wants us to focus on our differences and celebrate our diversity, but shouldn't we take time to celebrate and relate on the fact that we have our savior Jesus Christ in common? The deepest sense of our core needs. I just want to read a few verses that use this term koinonia. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, we're going to have them here on the screen. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, this is koinonia, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Can you hear the unity in community in the cross of Jesus in those verses? Koinonia. Philemon chapter 1 and verse 6. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul's praying, I pray that your sharing in the faith would be effective 
for discipleship. Philippians 1.3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 1 John 1.7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You see how the focus is on Jesus and the light from Jesus? And then discipleship happens as we pursue Jesus. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You got time for one last point? Acts chapter two and verse 46. Verse 46. And day by day, not just once a week, not just on Sunday, day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes. Do you see the two locations there? Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Discipleship community is not just for Sundays. It's not just for in this building. We talk about going to church. We talk about being here for church, the church service, but we are the church gathered in this building. And as we go out from this building, we continue to be the church. And the early church set the example that they didn't just gather on Sunday together in Solomon's porch for the corporate worship service. And then that was good enough for the rest of the week. It says day by day, they were not only meeting in the big building all together as the church family, but they were gathering in little pockets and clusters in their homes and enjoying meals together. That's relational, community, intimate, fellowship. You might be able to slip in and slip out on a Sunday morning and, and nobody really catches your name or hears where you come from or wonders why you weren't here last week. But let me tell you, you can't slip in and slip out on your life group. If you're not part of a life group, let's talk about life groups. We need more life groups. Let's talk about hosting life groups, leading life groups, because so much discipleship happens in life groups outside of Sunday mornings when we can really get to know each other and spend time praying together, studying the word together, eating food together, discipleship. You want to learn to follow Jesus? Do life with people who are following Jesus. Don't try and figure it all out alone and on your own. We're going to close this service today by observing the Lord's table, and we have some guys who are going to help us, so I, I would invite you guys to come forward. This is going to be like the closing reflection time of this sermon together, and I, I want to read a passage together as the guys are handing out the elements. We're going to have the passage on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul rebukes the church in Corinth for coming together, but making it all about themselves. See, they came together physically in the same room, but they weren't really together in community. They were focused on themselves and their needs and their preferences. They weren't thinking about the people next to them. The Apostle Paul talks specifically about the Lord's table when they came together. Thank you, Pat. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because 
when you come together, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. Nobody waits for anybody else. You just jump right in and eat what you want. One goes hungry. Another one gets drunk. Paul says, what? Do you not have houses to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often, you remember day by day, they're meeting in the temple and they're breaking bread in their homes. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then Paul follows this up by saying, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. And get this, get this, this, this last verse, verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, when Paul talks about the body, discerning the body, our first thought would be the body of Christ because we're remembering the shed blood and the broken body. But actually, the Greek language points out that it's referencing the church the church family, the church community, the local church community. When you come together to observe the Lord's table, don't eat and drink without discerning, without considering the church family, the church community, being mindful of one another. Philippians 2, having this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, considering others above yourself, considering other people. How much do we think about the discipleship of our brothers and sisters in the faith who are sitting next to us in these rows this morning? Paul says, don't eat, don't drink if you're not going to consider your impact, your discipleship, your following Jesus and how it impacts the community of faith around you because you're playing an important role in this body. We're going to take a moment now and examine ourselves as the verse says. Paul says, let a person examine himself then and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Don't eat and drink without discerning the body, without considering the body of Christ. Jesus, thank you so much that we're part of this faith family. 
as we come to the Lord's table, this is something we observe together. This is an institution for the church. That as we come together, we are each taking the bread, we are each taking the cup. If we know Christ as our personal savior, his broken body and his shed blood, we've claimed for our own that his sacrifice on the cross has paid the price for our sins. As we each take that bread and we each take that cup, it shows that we all have this common need of a savior. We share your sacrifice in common. We have a common salvation because of your broken body and your shed blood. Thank you for these things, Jesus. Paul says on the night that he was betrayed, he took the cup. Sorry, he took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He handed it to the disciples and he said, this do as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. God, as we close this service now, we thank you so much that you love the world that you created enough to put on flesh and step into it. Jesus, you are Emmanuel, God with us. You came to meet us, to save us, to die on the cross for our sins. That by simply responding in faith, your precious atonement can be applied to our sinful state. Your vicarious sacrifice, you died on the cross in our place. Not just something nice to do for us or on our behalf, but you literally took our place. You took our nails. You took those thorns. You died the death that we deserve because of our sin, because of how we've broken your law, because of how we've run from you. God, we thank you that you offer us new life and hope, and forgiveness, and redemption, a place in your family because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. If there are any here who have not received that message by faith, you tell us that all those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's how Peter ended his sermon on the day of Pentecost. All those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, help us to respond in faith to what you've done for us. God, thank you that we have this in common and that we can have community in the cross because we all know that the only reason we're here is because we desperately need Jesus. And God, for those who have not realized that yet, would you show them the, you, their need of you? Help them to respond in faith, Father, I pray. Thank you for the discipleship that happens in this community. Thank you for the, the conversations of faith Thank you for the actions of 
people taking steps to follow you and how that inspires other people to follow you. God, we pray for our mission to be disciples making disciples, that we wouldn't try and do this on our own, isolated by ourselves, but that, God, we would enter into community, not just showing up and sitting in a seat, but building relationships, talking to people about our faith, encouraging one another as we follow Jesus. God, help us to be a people who are passionate about following you and that that would show to the world around us, to the people we're sitting next to, to the people we live beside, we work beside, we go to school beside, we, we watch sports beside. God, would Jesus just pour out of every pore? Would your glory just shine from our face, God? We thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.